It's Monday, July 1st, 2019. I'm Jeremiah Zimmerman, and this is episode 213 of the 5049 Podcast. How you guys doing? Thanks for joining us for another conversation between myself and another musician. Today, that musician is here for uh, a round two of a conversation that started six years ago. Ava Mendoza, guitar shredder extraordinaire. Let's listen. Ava rules. Ava Mendoza rules. I'm glad she came back. Today is a good one. Today on the show, Ava Mendoza. I have been sick this past week. You can probably hear it in my voice, but being sick in the summertime during a heat wave sucks. I'm about to go out and play a, a solo show in Brooklyn, and I don't know how I'm going to be able to go longer than four minutes without blowing my nose. It should be, should be pretty hilarious. Speaking of solo shows, uh, I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, this August, Toby Driver, my esteemed colleague, and I are going out for a, a double solo tour. We're doing the Northeast. Some dates are confirmed. Others I need to fill in. If you are in Providence, Rhode Island, and would like us to come play, email me, simmerman at gmail.com. We're looking for some small, low-key gigs. Providence and West Hampton or Northampton, Massachusetts. If you've got a spot we can come play, let me know. I also want to point out, uh, I haven't done it in a couple weeks, but please check out the 5049 Patreon. Patreon.com slash 5049podcast. If you're enjoying this show and you wish to support it, that's how you do it. You sign up, you become uh, a monthly donor, five bucks, and it goes a long way in helping this show sustain uh, itself healthily. You know, it's like NPR, uh, except I think the music here is better. Listener supported, that's the model. And instead of a tote bag, what I will offer in return is access to the entire archive of the 5049 podcast, which at this point is over 100 episodes of of interviews and conversations with people like Bill Frizzell, Fred Frith, Mary Halverson. How many other guitar players can I name? Norman Westberg, Chris Cochran, Aaron Bajakian. You get the point. Uh, Do that if you're so inclined. All right, today on the show, Ava Mendoza returns. Ava was on the show back in fall, the fall of 2013, uh, when the show was was still young. And she had just moved to New York at the time from the Bay Area. That was my first time ever meeting Ava. Since then, I've gotten to know her somewhat well. I really enjoy Ava. Every time I see her, you know, she's someone who I really get excited about seeing. I think she's... You know, aside from being, you know, just an astoundingly talented guitar player, she's a real joy to be around. She's great to talk to. Uh, I've gotten to play a little bit of music with her. One of the reasons I'm putting this show up today is uh, we are going to be playing a show together in a couple weeks at The Stone. The Stone at the New School. I actually, I haven't been to The Stone at the New School since it opened. This will be my first time setting foot in there. It's a little... It's a little strange to me. Uh, but we're playing there on the 19th with clarinetist Aaron Novick, a group that he's put together uh, with 
Aaron and myself on clarinets. For this show, Nick Millavoy and Avon Guitars with Chess Smith and Shana Dunkelman on percussion. It should be pretty happening. I'm going to have Aaron on the show in a week or two to talk more about uh, his week at the Stone. But come on out to that. I'm also putting this up today because right now, starting uh, rather starting later this week, July 6th to July 13th, Ava will be on tour in Europe with uh, James Brandon Lewis's new band. Ava's a blast. Today, you know, like all, anytime I do one of these round two conversations, uh, it's more enjoyable for me. The biographical stuff is out of the way, and it's just us sort of cutting up and, and talking shit and talking shop. Ava's the best. All the music uh, heard on the show today is from her newest record by her band Unnatural Ways, which is her, Tim Dahl on bass, and Sam Ospavat on drums. The album's called The Paranoia Party, and it fucking rules. Check it out. Ava Mendoza, Unnatural Ways, The Paranoia Party. If you want to find out more about Ava Mendoza, and I suggest you do, go to avamendozamusic.com. All right, that's it. Here is my second conversation with guitar great Ava Mendoza. <laughs> like, like this is. I think as good as it's going to get for no, me ever having a, a home studio. It's a good room, but I don't know what happened that I expanded it. I was actually thinking about it. That was like six years ago you were here. I guess so. Yeah, almost like six that. years ago. Like Are we just, on? Yeah, you just... Ah! When did we start? What do you mean? Did we just start? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. As soon as we sat down. That's oh. the way I always do it. Okay, cool. Just start, you know? Right, right. Uh, you had just moved to New York. I had just moved to New York, so it was like... Yeah, coming up on six years ago because I moved in October of twenty thirteen. October first, yeah, twenty no twenty four. I think it was. If it was six years ago, it's twenty thirteen. Right. Yeah, it must have been twenty thirteen. Right. Yes. That was. I don't. Yeah, I guess I didn't think I realized that I was talking to someone who like just. No, I just landed here. I think I. I remember you hit me up early on, and then it was maybe a couple months later. Maybe it was December or January or something like that. Right. I still like didn't know what a real winter coat was. Really? Yeah. No, I did not <laughs> right, know. I had County. I had what I thought was a winter coat. Right. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I, yeah. Living in Oakland for ten years, I would like go. You know, of course, go places where it was cold and go on tours where uh-huh. it was cold. But I was like, this is a winter coat. Well, it's a ski jacket. And then like January came around, and that was an especially bad winter. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah, year, yeah. like every, people I remember that, that lived here forever were like, this is a crazy a, winter. I, yep. I actually, I remember that winter, and this, it happens from time to time, but three times in like a four-day period, I slipped on like a patch of ice on oh, the sidewalk. Oh, no. It was a hard winter. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, the city didn't know how to deal with it. There were just like roads that were blocked for a long time. Right. And, and more like, more snow days than oh, usual man, for schools. Gross welcome. But uh, yeah, yeah. So I was like, oh, this isn't a coat. I get it. Like, I have to... <laughs> I have to buy something else. There were a couple of days where I was like running in my in my jacket. Like I would like go in a bodega and then like run down a block to the next bodega and go in there to get warm. And then like, run. yeah, it's just like, this is, yeah, I got to do something about this. I remember one of the, I mean, I so saw where I grew up upstate, 
I mean, it's way colder than New York. Yeah, you know, we sure. slept with jackets on and stuff. Sure. Um, but when I moved to New York, I hadn't lived in New York for for several years, and I remember te- learning. I came up with this trick of playing gigs in the winter time. Wow. First thing I would do is go into the bathroom of whatever I was wherever I was playing, yeah. and hold my hands under hot water for. That's like good. Two minutes. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought. I mean, I, don't think I feel. I feel like people just try to stop playing gigs in the winter time. Really? Here, I mean, it's, it's just because it's harder to get get people out, and it's always you know, it, it's just it's more dead in January and like early yes, February yeah, here. Yeah, it general. is. Maybe it's just me because I'm like I'm gonna stay home. The only times I, I will say this, like the only times I've ever not like I got called out on a gig. Yeah. When I've been sick has been in the winter time. Otherwise, like oh, like you when know. you when you canceled a gig, yeah, yeah. I think me t- well. I mean, I've done it twice. If you if you count Oakland winter time, so <laughs> it, I've done it a couple times but there. Oakland but it's always time is like sixty five degrees. Shh, it, but I've done it in like December and January in Oakland. Those are the only times I've ever canceled so, gigs. I've never been to Oakland, California. Okay, and I was watching this Netflix show, this documentary series what called is it? Drugs Inc. They go, what is to, that? they go to like different. It's like a documentary series. They go to different cities in the United States and they film with both law enforcement officials, but also like the people from the drug trade. Yeah, yeah. Oakland is a like. If I'm to believe what I watched on that sure. show, it's like a horrifying place. Well, it's. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of hype around the horrifyingness of Oakland. Is it I hype? guess. Well, there's there's hype and there there is a lot of crime. It's true, and I don't know what what drugs were these they were talking about. Uh, I think it was mostly heroin and coke. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like yeah, the there, hard ones. there's there's lots of gangs and there there's lots of crime and you know it's a it's a city with a lot of problems. You never it's, got gut. What's mugged. That? I did get mugged. <laughs> I did get mugged. I did get my house broken into. I was on tour at that point, but like my roommate got held up at gunpoint and guys came through the house and like. Looked through all the rooms, took his guitar, didn't take my spare guitar. Thank goodness. But yeah, so I came home from tour and you know found out that the house had been gone through at gunpoint. I got held up at gunpoint on my front porch right before I was going to move here. Um, so that was like August. Don't put a gun probably. On you. Yeah, yeah. I, just, I was coming home real late at night from my studio and I had like laptop, nice vocal mic, uh, guitar. I had been doing vocal overdubs on on a record, and um, so I had all this gear on me and got to my front door. There had been, like, break-ins and muggings around there, so I was being real careful. I was like, yeah, I made it, fumbling for my keys, and I turn around, and there's a guy with a gun. Just one guy? Yeah, 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 he yeah. took everything you had on you? No, no. <laughs> he, like, I actually almost started laughing because like, he was like, where's your money at? And I was like, man, I'm carrying, like, probably two thousand dollars worth of gear you didn't say that i did not say that i did not say that but i was like this guy is dumb yeah 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 so you know i'm carrying all this expensive stuff on me and he's like where's your money and i was like i don't have any money and the lady who lived next door to me thankfully heard heard me like making a fuss about it and pounded on the inside of her door and was like i'm calling the cops and he just he just said, what's that? And like grabbed my laptop out of my hand and ran. So he got the computer. He got the computer, which had a, re- a finished record on it. And that which was, was the a bummer. only place yep. the record lived. Yeah. It wasn't on a backup yep. drive. Yep. Oh. Yep. I learned my lesson. To back up and drive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I but think for a lot anyway. of those dudes, though, like, I don't, th- I mean, yeah, I have a clarinet. It's worth $3,000. But like, I think that's actually a huge, ha- for someone who's just trying to get a little bit of cash to like yeah, get yeah, high yeah. or... There was a, there I think was a they'd big rather thing. just have like thirty bucks. Totally, than the thing and they have to pawn. you know, I think there was a big like 
like um, spike in crime around that time, at least there, because uh, they would, you know, people figured out that you could steal a cell phone, Mm -hmm. an iPhone or whatever, Mm -hmm. and you'd have, I don't know what that is, like a a few hundred dollars from that. Sure. Um, And so it was just real easy money and you didn't have to hurt anybody and you walked away and there was no traces. But um, after a while, there there was a lot of back and forth about this, but but, uh, I, uh, who makes iPhone? Mac? Apple, yeah. Apple, yeah. After a lot of pressure was put on them, um, Apple finally made it so like you couldn't sort of like wipe an iPhone and, and right. start it, restart it without any trace. Like they made it so it was maybe not necessarily traceable, but like you couldn't you couldn't wipe the drive as easily. Right. And after that, all those muggings went way down. Yeah, they find there, yeah, else, right. yeah. But it really like Apple was making good money on that because so many phones were getting stolen yeah. and people were buying I buying remember- new ones. I wonder though. I think I wish it would go back to being a hot item. Like, you want to get mugged? I don't want to get mugged. I've been mugged, and I really yeah, didn't enjoy the experience. No, no, me neither. Uh, yeah, I wonder if what not people, on my to do list. Well, there's two things we can talk. Uh, <laughs> I one day I, I took the bus, the 14A. Um, I got off to, to go to work, and I realized I couldn't find my phone anywhere. Uh huh. And I was like talking to my wife. I was like, I don't know what the phone is. I know she's like, she showed me how to use Find My Phone. I didn't know about it. Yeah. And I could see it was like traveling on the same bus line as the 14A. <laughs> so, yeah. Call- Wait, which you were on? Yeah. You were still on yeah. it? So I was like, oh, it's on the bus. So <laughs> I called the f- awkward my phone and the bus driver answered. And she was like, she's like, yeah, I found your phone. Like, oh. She's like, I can meet you back at the Delancey stop if you want it back. And I was like, yeah, it seems like a good idea. Oh, so you weren't still on the bus? No. Okay. But on, the, on a computer screen, I was watching it move along 14th Street. And I had this thing. I was like, I don't think I want that phone back. I think I'm going to go back to being a normal person and not have uh, a fucking I see, iPhone. I see. But the whole time I was, I was like considering it, I was watching on the screen as it was coming closer and closer to me. Yeah. And at the last minute, I ran out to the bus stop where I knew she was pulling up and I got the phone back. Yeah. And I like gave her 20 bucks or whatever. Yeah. But I realized that like, what other item could you lose where you like where it would you have to battle the temptation of whether or not you want it back that well it's such a yeah it's such a lifestyle thing i hate it i hate it too but i have too bad a sense of direction to exist without (laughs) it i just had to accept that at some point it's not getting better i've tried to make myself better (laughs) to improve myself as a sense of direction person but i can't i can't i can't i can't i need the iphone especially here with subway stops and stuff i just spent too much time like being lost and late to things that i couldn't be late for right when i moved here because i was an anti-iphone person when i got here and then after like six months i was like i I can't do this you need it yeah okay so but maybe not you maybe you're you have a better direction brain no i'm horrible i mean in in manhattan yeah. I always know exactly where I am at any Yeah, moment. you're from here. Well, I but that's it. And this is a grid. Like, you yeah, know, yeah. one needn't be too smart to look at like 42nd and 9th. Sure. And then look down at 41st and know that means south. Sure, sure. <laughs> I, I can find a way to get confused. Brooklyn's incredibly confusing to me. Br- Brooklyn's confusing, yeah. Have you... All right, so since you got here... Yes. Have you... Like, did you sort of take... The lifestyle that you've been leading in the Bay as an improviser, uh-huh. kind of going from gig to gig, and just sort of like take take it to Brooklyn, or what's the evolution been like? Um, that's a good question. I mean, yeah, I guess in a lot of ways, yeah. Um, I would say maybe uh, yes, uh-huh. yes, and and 
No, in the sense that it's just much easier to tour from here. So that was right. always going to Europe. As, yeah, yeah, and just around the East Coast because mm-hmm. cities are closer together. Mm-hmm. So that was immediately like more of a taking up more time mm-hmm. than it was before. Um, but in terms of like in town local things, yeah, yeah, for sure, improvised music. You know the the same type of scene that I was involved in in mm-hmm. Oakland. I guess what I realized here quickly is not having a car it's really easy to like not make money or lose money on those gigs Wait, what do you mean well on like improvised music gigs uh, just getting there or if you have to bring an amp or i like to have a lot of pedals you right. know all that stuff it's really easy to to like definitely not make money and and quite often lose <laughs> yeah 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 and quite often lose yeah, just on transportation because I really wanted to play with this person who asked yeah, me to play. Yeah, totally. I I knew, I'm fine with labor yeah, of love stuff, but I la- just I can't afford to do that all the time, you know? <laughs> so I, it, it was a different, I had, whatever. I had a car in Oakland and it was a little bit, maybe that's the main thing that made it easier. But it, it just, uh, I didn't have to think about it You that were more likely to say yes to everything. Yeah, yeah. I was like, why not? I'll drive down to, you know, 21 grand and, and play with whoever. Yeah. Yeah. So it just like out of practicality. I think I do it a bit less now. It's so funny. Like at some point in everyone we know's life, like you, you begin to sort of accept that you have to start saying no to certain yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. And it's not yeah, because yeah. you hate it, or but it's just no, you know you it's just, just have practical to sort of reality. Like, you know, structure your life a bit. Sure. And I was thinking about this the other day. I I emailed someone about a gig and just never got a response from them. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I know what that is. That's just like, you know, he can't do it or doesn't want to do it. Yeah. Uh, and that's just, you know, one way. I got an email from this person the other day asking for something. And this part of my brain was like, ah, I don't have to write them back. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They're like asking you for a favor yeah. after they cold shouldered you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you totally don't have to say anything to them. But, and I, I, I don't think any less of that person. Right, 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 right. But also you don't like owe them, well, I don't know what they were asking for, for right. but but you don't owe them favors. Right, I don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, it made me stop and go, oh yeah, that is sort of like like a thing that people, that's one way that people say no, they just don't respond. Yeah, for sure. Silence is the new no. It's is, common, right? Yeah, yeah. So I can't remember now who, who said that to me, but it was like a... A little bit older musician who's kind of like was talking about the grant world uh-huh. that like you used to get a response yay or nay right after after grant applications and uh, now it's just it's just tumbleweeds you know and I'm not I'm not in that world so I don't <laughs> I don't know but I I believe it and like just in terms of booking anything I think it's kind of like a that bold rejection one time where uh, <laughs> yay <laughs> well, no, I, I got a rejection email I was like oh, fine I was a little a little irritable you know but. Yeah, and like twenty minutes later, I got another one, and there was some glitch in their system where, like, th- throughout <laughs> the day, I got like five of the same oh email. <laughs> where I was like, okay, I get it. Yeah, I get it. No, you don't want to give it to me. I... <laughs> right? Would you rather five rejection emails or silence and like I not knowing five, for a few it was months? Very clear to me. It's clear. <laughs> I like the clarity. I think the clarity is is important. But have you ever? <laughs> I try to be straight up, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And tell people whether like. Hey, that really sounds great, but like I'm taking it easy. Or... Yeah, sure. Like, are you okay? Are you are you okay at saying no? I'm okay. I'm okay. I mean, I think yeah, everyone has to do that. Hopefully, I've gotten a little bit better at it. But yeah, I mean, I'll just say I that week is nuts. I can't take on anything else, or just you know, I, I yeah. just I have an engagement that night. Whatever it has to be. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah. I mean, at I this have... point, I'm kind of into projects in general, like. 
projects with a sound, whether whether it's improvised or whether it's playing like songs or or more like tunes or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm kind of into regular. That's things. Where, just where it's at now. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just want to develop things but, with people and like get deeper into how we play together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There, I was thinking about it. I was talking to a, a friend who I knew way back when when I first moved to the city, and just sort of thinking like in that period of time, I realized that like. I don't know if I thought if I thought of it this way at the time, but I think that it's that's the thing. Is you show up and you start playing with as many people as possible, and through that filter, you kind of begin to understand what it is that you actually want to do. Yeah, for sure. You know, for sure. And I get bugged out because I'm like, man, I only play with like the same eight people. Right. But maybe that's not a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just finding your balance that you're happy with. I'm personally not somebody that's like, I don't think I'm gonna play usually my nine times out of 10, I'm not going to play my best in like a one-off meeting with somebody. Right. You know, it, it might be exciting, but it, I'm, it's not for me personally, the, the best music I make for some people. It is some people that's where they, they like yeah. shine, you yeah, know, yeah, and it yeah, is yeah. their best music, but I know how I am. And I think things get better with time for me and with sure. knowing each other. And so, so that's why I want to like commit. Do you, do you not have... that I don't want to play with anybody new, but like, I'm into doing sessions yeah. and developing stuff that way and then taking it out. Yeah. Do you have a sense uh, internally of like, how can I say this? I played a show the other night. Uh-huh. With, I was playing with new people. And kind of early on in the set, I was like, okay, I, I could hear that we're trying to find what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. So I was kind of trying to find a sense of like forgiveness within myself. <laughs> like like blanket forgiveness. <laughs> of like, okay, this isn't that happening right now. Yeah, But yeah, it's just yeah. because this is part... It's taken me a while to get there. Be okay with the process of we're finding something. Yeah, I mean, I enjoy that struggle. Mm -hmm. I enjoy that struggle, but I don't need to do it as a gig all the time. Mm -mm. And I like seeing... Sometimes I like seeing that struggle with other people, like seeing improvisers find a way to play together. Mm -hmm. That's super interesting. But also I like seeing stuff that just... They get each other and it works. Mm-hmm. So, do you practice your band all the time? Uh, which one? Uh, unnatural. Unnatural ways. ways. Well, I mean, there's there's very little improv in that right. at this point. Right. So, no, it's not like we have re- weekly rehearsals. It's more like when we have a gig, we'll have a couple, like two or three practices or something yeah. like that, or before a tour. So it's not. I'm not in anything that that rehearses every week now, but it is. Um, you know, with that and and with a. Uh, with the other things that I'm like regularly involved with, it's just like it's important year to year after year get like deeper into the music and and find what works with each other and with unnatural ways really to write stuff that like suits the players. So looking at projects as long term. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just, I'm just. You've always been that way. Um, I think I'm just realizing that that's what makes the most sense, at least for mm-hmm. me. You know, like life life is really short. I'm not a fast writer. Mm-hmm. And I maybe I've gotten a bit faster, but I'm not like I'm fine with being kind of slow and taking your time mm-hmm. when when you're writing when you're writing songs or any kind of notated music. I think it's good to to let it sit for a while instead of just like dashing stuff off for the purpose of whatever this this show or this tour or this grant or this record. Mm-hmm. I like to have it like marinated for a while. Yeah. So I mean, just just because I'm like that and that's how I feel like I make my best music. Um, yeah, long term for sure. Yeah, yeah. 
The I mean the band Unnatural Ways like that's been like a real evolution. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, and it it we've toured enough together over the last. It's been different lineups, but this one with um, it's Tim Dahl and with Sam Ospavai. It's been like I think it's four like four years probably but, like, with guys, Sam. It's like that that lineup's done like what three records I think. Two records. Okay. Two records. Yeah, and um, I mean at this point we've just toured together enough and played in town enough that like. We can have a rehearsal and show up and it and it feels like a band mm-hmm. on the gig. Like we get we can do stuff that you can only do if you've played together mm-hmm. a lot. And for me in a rock band, that's really important. You know, not just like everybody sort of like desperately trying to play the music. It's have, like, have like you broken been, in. Right. Have you been making like a concerted effort to have that band uh perform in places you know, more geared towards rock audiences? Yeah, I mean, I think just the way that the writing has gone, yeah. that's what has made the most sense. Because I, uh, the first record that came out with the West Coast people mm-hmm. was like, well, first of all, there was a Keys player in it's it, like Dominique Leone. Yeah, Nick, Nick Tamburo and Dominique Leone. And it, you know, there, were song, there were songs that were like rock songs that right. I sang on, but there were also more kind of like, like free jazzy in the sort of Ornette primetime sense right. or like maybe the Tony Williams lifetime sense not that we're on that level but like in the in the like there's a head and and long open solos and a head yeah um and i just i haven't written anything like that in almost a decade now um like head solo head things and it just i think uh it's a combination of who's in the band now and just that i really wanted to I wanted to write lyrics, I wanted to sing, and I wanted to hear stuff that was more through composed. Mm-hmm. So it all, it turned way more in like a rock direction. And also with, because it's bass instead of keyboards, and it's just not going to have that like, you know, uh, lifetime-y I mean, sound. It's, it's pretty The fusion-y sound. R- yeah. Like I was listening to the new <laughs> record today. Like it, it's not, like it's very imaginative and like not, it, when you, when I'm listening to it, it's, I don't, it's not like, um, how can I say, like sometimes with like head, solo head based music, it's very literal music. Yeah. You yeah. know, there's not a lot of like makeup on it. It's like, you're hearing like a horn blowing over a drum kit, you right, know, right. and, and that's neither here nor there you know that is what it is yeah but certainly with a record like the new one of, of unnatural ways yeah it sounds like it's like outer space and there's you know it's a little bit you you kind of i mean if you want to think in terms of genre i guess like you could have fun doing that right, trying right, to right. find it but or, or you could just experience it as this like really weird thing sure. <laughs> yeah i mean that's how i think of it yeah that's how i think of it but i think that that it gets lumped into the noise rock category which i'm fine with uh-huh. um more it, more with that last record and i mean yeah i hear it as a bunch of weird shit that that i wrote and that we broke in together and yeah, arranged yeah, yeah. together you know and all of us are uh it, tim and i are both into like sonic stuff uh-huh at being as important as as like note playing and being being hand in hand with like what the actual like written music is right i mean the you know music so is... that abstract you can hear the forms very clearly yeah yeah but yeah. it's still got like a very abstract quality to it that you kind of have to stop what you're doing and and really kind of check out what's happening cool cool yeah. but yeah i mean i'm not thinking this or that genre or whatever but it it's definitely just gone more in the songy yeah. songy like through composed direction have you always been singing no i started singing like uh, I don't know, maybe like a couple years before I moved here. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, you know, coming from like loving a lot of sort of like 
punk rock, no wavy singers. I was like, I can do this, you know, I'll just do it. And then, you know, over over years was like, OK, I have to actually like work on this. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. And I, you know, just like over the last three few years, I've tried to like put in some hours. Really? Um, like, yeah. Yeah. Like vocally. And kinda... yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. The the nerdiest vocal exercises. I warm up every single show humiliatingly before I play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People can hear me. I mean, Tim and Sam are like, this is pathetic. You know? Oh, really? <laughs> but I'm like, yeah. I'm like, like, youngy, 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 locking myself in the bathroom and they're like cracking up at me. But it, but it, that's how it I sing better and I don't lose my voice is the yeah. other thing. Yeah. And I I will if I don't do that. Well, yeah, if you fuck up like if you lose the ability to play guitar, it's like obviously that sucks. But like you don't rely on your guitar playing to like exist in the world. I mean, you do, but what I'm saying <laughs> is if you lose your voice, like you're not just losing a musical ability, like you're losing the ability to communicate. Yeah, yeah. And if it's on a tour, then there goes the music. It's like that this stuff doesn't work instrumentally. Right. But you did that the record on the um the Zodic record was instrumental, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was instrumental. And yeah. that was I mean, Zorn specifically asked for an instrumental record. Really? He was like, I don't want a rock record. You can find a better label for that. Right. Um so yeah, I want like a guitar trio instrumental record. Yeah, yeah. And I was yeah. like, Cool. Yeah. I mean that band works as like a quote unquote power trio. Yeah. Like yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. bass player and a drummer At, who really are locked in and Totally, yeah. totally. And I might who knows? I mean I'm it may go back that way, but just you know, the last couple of years I I wanted to do a like lyricy, singy record. Yeah. So you like writing lyrics? Yeah, yeah. I super love it. I have no idea how people do that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean I guess I've always written and it it turned into writing lyrics right. more than anything and the way i started singing was just i had all these lyrics and i was really? like somebody's got to do it and i'm not gonna like be like hey amazing singer sing my lyrics so i guess i have to do it right right but did, like did, like you so your whole life you've written lyrics yeah yeah i mean since i was like 12 oh that's <laughs> did you have any of that stuff <laughs> <laughs> probably probably but that oh no yeah, I probably do. <laughs> yeah? Can you bear to look at it? or? I haven't tried in a long time. But, I mean, what do people write about when they're 12? They're like, why don't people like me? I hate uh, one of my family members. I think it was stuff like that. That would be kind of cool to look at. <laughs> I should, maybe, just to, just to, to really like have a document of what was going on at that time. Yeah. Fuck. So... Wait, wait. What what other bands are you working on? Um, let's see. So I have, uh, I mean, I've done stuff on and off over the last few years with my friend John Dykeman, uh-huh. who's a saxophonist. He's American, but he lives in Amsterdam, and he has this band Cactus Truck, right? Um, that's with a drummer and and a guitar guitar player slash bassist, Jasper Stadhuders. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. and yeah, Ono yeah. Ono Govert. These guys have cool names. Yeah, they do. I don't know. I think I'm butchering them. Probably. But um, yeah. Yeah. So I've done a couple tours with with those guys, and and we have recordings that are not out yet. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of like a nice, you know, polar opposite from from a natural ways thing. Just hardcore free improvisation. Yeah. Like that's the point of that band, and um, really, you know, balls to the wall. Hardcore free improvisation. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. everybody playing constantly, super loud, but like with the idea that you can still communicate deeply. Um, 
at that while you're playing like that. Right. You know, so so that's one like ongoing thing. I have a band with um, Sarah Bernstein, Adam Lane, and VJ Anderson. Oh wow, that's that's new. I mean, that's just that's like the like last a collaborative project. Yeah, yeah. It's written. It's it's all tunes. Uh-huh. It's all tunes. Um, and right now, it's all tunes by everyone except me because <laughs> because as I said, I haven't uh, written anything that was like you know. It's more like free jazzy mm-hmm. tunes, and I haven't written anything like that in a long time. Not that I. Not that I don't want to, but I, I just, you know, didn't have anything that made sense for this band. Right. So it's it's everybody's tunes except mine at this point. But right. I, I enjoy it. I mean, it's more like coming out of like a like a Ornette, Sonny Chirac thing, uh-huh. I would say, from where I'm coming from anyway. I mean, it's fun interpreting people's music. Yeah, yeah. I love interpreting people's music. Yeah. Well, it was the last time I saw you, uh, like, I don't know, like a month or two ago. Was at yeah. that show in um, in Brooklyn, yeah. and you played pieces written by Trevor Dunn and yeah. Gavin Hoff, yeah, which was fucking awesome. Cool, cool. I mean, you saw the the trial by fire of the Trevor piece, actually. Oh, really? Where, yeah, that was the first time I ever played it, and there and I had that music stand that like that kept, didn't work. kept yeah. toppling, and it like didn't have a shelf, so I taped the music right. onto it. Anyway, that was that was the trial by fire of that piece. But I mean, the other the other thing that is always super consistent for me is playing solo. Yeah, um, and actually, I guess when I moved here, I had kind of like fallen off the wagon with that a really? little bit. I hadn't done it for a while, and I hadn't written anything. Because you were new. doing a lot of it back in Oakland. Yeah, but more, more, you know, a little, a few years before, and right. then I guess it as unnatural ways ramped up. Sure. I kind of fell off the solo wagon. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I did really want to start start doing it again and start writing new stuff. So just in the last last year. I've been writing new stuff, and the idea is to do a record that is half half my music and then half things that I ask friends to write for yeah. me. So that was, I asked Trevor Dunn and Devin Hoff, who are two great bass players, and I like both of their writing, and I like both of their solo playing a lot, mm-hmm. and they've seen me solo and in lots of other situations. So it like... You know, I'm not. I'm never going to be a like a classical musician, but I do love um, interpreting other people's music. And the idea with these two is that we know each other really well. They right. know kind of my approach, and they would write something or pick something that, that was course, personal. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's also. But if you just said to me like, "Hey, do you want to hear a piece that Devin Hoff or Trevor Dunn wrote for a solo instrument?" I'm like, yeah, Fuck yeah, something yeah I hear. totally. I just love both of their yeah. writing. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. and it it makes sense for the way that I think about the instrument. Right. And that, yeah, and those guys get it. Yeah, like it's not. For sure. I don't. I don't think. I, I think I'm. I'm. I'm assuming, but there's like plenty of people whose music you might like, uh, who just wouldn't be able to. Yeah, they do might something be cool no, for the guitar. Or for yeah, you. or it just might not be the right fit for for the way I play solo or whatever. It's not. It's not that I don't like their writing. Right. But but something about the way the two of them write just like makes sense to me. It yeah. transfers to the guitar super well. Devin's originally from California too, right? Um, he's from Colorado originally, okay. but he was in the Bay Area right. most of the time that I was there, and we played together a bunch. Yeah, but yeah, so that record is really, you know, I wanted to do a new solo record, and I, I, I love playing my own music, but it's it's inspiring for me in this totally different way to interpret other people's music, and like I feel I wouldn't ever want to discard either of those, so I wanted to do a record where it's really like hopefully it's going to be of a piece uh-huh. you know the, the even though i would never write anything like what trevor and devin wrote but like hopefully the record will hold together with i the think things it that absolutely I will i mean it, do you feel like so over since you first started doing solo stuff however long ago yeah 
Like, I have to imagine the approach is constantly sort of evolving. It's constantly evolving. And I mean, part of how I started doing it really was like, um, not much of my own music. It was like, well, yeah, I mean, it it was covers, like weird covers of of old blues tunes and country tunes. Uh That was how I started playing solo. Unless you count like when I was a teenager playing, playing like classical music which i don't count yeah that's that's more just like building foundation yeah 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 yeah. but like in in my 20s when i started playing solo gigs it was yeah playing like weird weird like interpretations of of like goodnight irene and and the tennessee waltz and stuff like that you know so that was how that was how i like built any kind of solo chops and like vocabulary and then Uh it was a while before i started writing my own things it's funny that you said that about goodnight irene that song in particular who is it that I? I mean, Lead Belly Lead is Belly. the version. Yeah, that. But when you listen to Lead popular. Belly, when you listen to, I mean, I know these guys are from pretty different worlds, but Doc yeah. Boggs. Uh huh. Or uh-huh. if you listen to, um, I don't know, fucking Sun House, like yeah, Robert Johnson, like these are like really good templates for what could be done with solo with material. solo instruments. Yeah, because that sure, music sure. Has a vibe that I mean. We're, I'm not talking about incredibly complex song structures, right? But we're talking about people like I get scared listening to yeah, that. Yeah, Good Night Irene is terrifying. It's I mean, horrifying. it's all all like I'm gonna jump in the river and drown. I'm gonna take morphine and and die. Like all these things sung about a girl that's too young for him. That is, the yeah. mother said, "Get away from my daughter." You know, it's a scary tune. These guys are summoning some fucking spirits. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, I love a lot of that music, and to me, for solo music, for guitar. You know, it hold, it can hold up instrumentally, but oh, also, yeah. also the the lyrics and the vocals are so awesome. I just think it's some of the best out there. It's some of the best to listen to. Yeah, for just for so, for do soloists. You, when you do something like Good Night Irene, do you do the the words too? I started to, but oh, that's boy. just in the in the last few years. I'll yeah. do it once in a while now, and um, you know, when I did it all through like my twenties, it was always instrumental. But now I'll sing like the last verse of it sometimes. Yeah, it's I. I God, I wish. Did you see this movie that came out a couple months ago called um, "They Will Not Grow Old"? No, what it's is it? Unbelievable! It was one of the best things I've seen in years. Like yeah. Peter Jackson, the guy that made um, like the Lord of the Rings shit. Uh huh. He got contacted by the British government, and they said, "Look, it's a hundred years since the end of World War One. Got hundreds of hours of footage. Will you do something cool with it?" Huh? Uh, wait, of the war? Of World or? War One? Okay. So he got together like his team of like you know the greatest you know digital people in the world and they um they treated this film material in such a way they updated it and and reinvigorated it looks like it was shot just now huh and it's a full documentary of you know footage that's 100 years old it looks like it was shot yesterday yeah it's insane and one of the things that's so weird about it or so like you you don't really think about until you watch it is that the people that were being filmed They'd never been in front of a camera before. Yeah. They'd never been in front of a video camera before, and so they're they're just naturally sort of acting weird. <laughs> the concept of like an audience that isn't there is a completely foreign idea. Uh huh. So all that is. But this... are they? Can you tell that they're acting not how they would normally yeah. act? That's yeah. clear. Okay. Yeah. And then when you go back and you watch old old film from anyone in that period, like oh yeah, that's what's going on. That's why they're like staring at the camera. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Or whatever>. <laughs> <laughs> but I, it, I I wonder like when you listen to those Robert Johnson recordings, like uh huh. There's, there's gotta be I always felt like I feel like I'm listening to something that wasn't intended for me like I'm like I'm like I'm eavesdropping or something uh-huh sure sure I, I have to imagine that those guys weren't thinking about making records in the same way that like a rock band goes into the studio with two weeks booked 
with a schedule no, of like doing overdubs for sure, and shit. For sure not. I mean, it, they were they were for the most part. I think they were very not in control. It was like somebody somebody like Alan Lomax or whoever. Yeah, came, there were a lot of people like that. But I mean, that's that's one of the more famous ones. But somebody would come, usually from the north, right. and and book some hours at a studio and like often have guys come in. <clears throat> you know, for like an hour each, right? And just record, 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 and then figure out if they had a hit or not. So right. the, these, I mean, uh, I think Lead Belly is maybe a bit of a different story, but like Robert Johnson, I, th- you know, he would just go in there and record a song or two at a time, and it was totally out of his control what happened with it, right? You know, so it was just trying to put down a, a good performance, and you, uh, you know, if it, if it did come out it might not come out if it did come out uh then the hope was that it would like bring a bunch more popularity to that musician and sometimes that happened and sometimes it didn't right right i wish i wish there was some way to like channel that like whatever whatever. like not thinking about recording i mean that would be ideal (laughs) (laughs) i think we get better with that the more we do it yeah but but there, there's just yeah, there's like an aspect to that music that I can't quite put my finger on. It sounds spooky. It sounds like it's almost from like another planet. Or sure, sure. But I guess it is. Well, and also just the recording quality is so much a part of it. Yeah, like it, it those recordings like there's lots of Library of Congress recordings mm-hmm. that are real cleaned up, and you don't hear the sort of like crackle and pop mm-hmm. of the uh, of the whatever of the tape machine mm-hmm. the way that you do on a lot of like early blues records and it just sounds so weird it's weird to hear it's lead belly with that yeah i mean it, it to my ears because i always hear it hear them with all those recording artifacts it sounds bizarre and like real just polished and uh-huh. like to me too clean too clean without that stuff even though i mean that's how it sounded in a room right the blues is so weird <laughs> like <laughs> The I mean, have you ever have you spent much time listening to like contemporary blues guitarists? Honestly, no, no contemporary, no. Point? I mean, unless you count people that have been around for a long time that still play like somebody, King somebody, yeah, buddy, buddy guy, guy, buddy right. guy, or somebody. I went right. to see him new, in New Jersey a couple of years ago. I loved it. I loved it. I mean, he he like I thought he still sounded great on guitar. Like he wasn't as ripping maybe as he once was, but his playing sounded great. His voice sounded great. He has a polka dot guitar. He has a polka dot rug. That he stands on, you yeah. know, he has a wireless guitar, so he'll go out and run around in the audience. His band, I thought, sucked. Right. They're probably each getting like 200 bucks or something. Yeah, I mean, they're they're like, they're fine as sure. musicians, but just like really guitar centery sounding. Like, right. Just nothing special about them, Right, I really thought. clear tone, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, it just didn't wasn't who I want to hear him with. But I liked hearing him so much that I was sort of like willing to ignore that. Yeah. His tone is still so awesome. See, he told all these dirty jokes. I mean, he just he like always gets in trouble for cussing and telling dirty jokes on stage like, and like dirty jokes as in like it's 2019, you can't talk about that shit anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's just like always been part of his thing. So I mean, he's like, if, well, if I don't some... know, I got kicked out of this festival the last time I was in Jersey, but I this is how I talk. <laughs> I swear if some social justice warrior would come down on Buddy Guy, like that is where like the snake has eaten its own tail. Everyone <laughs> Yeah, there would be there would be a, an internet fuss about that. Right. So that just reminded me of something, and I, I don't know if this dude was trolling me and just trying to get under my skin or not. Yeah. But I was talking about um, 
this dude I work with who's a bass player, uh-huh. jazz bass player. He plays the acoustic bass. Uh-huh. And I, we were just talking about Ted Nugent. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah, it sucks that Ted Nugent, Ted Nugent is such like a piece of shit because his guitar tone is actually He has amazing. a great guitar tone. Yeah. yeah. And this guy was like, what are you talking about? Guitars don't have tone. And I was like, what? And oh, this person's insane. I don't was, like this person. He was like, he was like they're, they're, the, the amp is what's making the sound. It's not their fingers touching the strings. And we uh-huh. kind of like got, we got into it for a minute. But ultimately, I just like gave up on the argument because I just got bored with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, do people think that? Apparently. Had you heard that before? I mean, some people will be like, people that don't play an electric instrument mo- mo- normally will be like, it's an electric instrument. It sounds the same no matter like, uh, no matter what the the wood on the neck is and yeah. no matter what, you know, That's a crock of shit. how you touch it and all this stuff. I, it's a total crock of shit. I mean, I t- if I play my guitar and somebody else with like big fat fingers plays my guitar and a different touch than me, it's going to sound different. Absolutely. It's going to sound different. And I mean, yeah, tone is, is always, yeah, definitely from the amp and knowing what you want out of the amp and from the pickups as well. But it's so much about the way you touch it. It's- and like if you're a clean player or a dirty player and like how how you know polished you want everything to sound that's your tone as well well there's that but there's also i mean i of course agree with you but then for me personally i have an added large layer of respect for how a guitar player deals with their signal flow yeah 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 how they d- get their amp sound dialed in how they work with their effects pedals right. that is part of the sound yeah for sure well and i mean maybe i'm misunderstanding but that was kind of what that guy was saying right I, that like it's all the amp i mean i think he's just a like a 25 year old guy who thinks he's a 95 year old guy yeah 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 wow what is it with that like people who I mean, decide to be 95 when they're 20 if i only heard modern jazz guitar players i would probably also just be like anti guitar well they're well they're all like that they're like i'm 95 but i'm 20 <laughs> i've talked about it way too many times but that is the to me the most offensive guitar sound that jazz thing where you turn all the bass up and all the treble yeah down. yeah the like joe pass it's sound. almost like a like, like a misinterpretation of a of a like west montgomery sound i think like it it i don't there's so many recordings where like the guitar is sort of muffled and like all the highs are rolled off and i think it might come partly from just misunderstanding what he actually sounded someone like someone told me that the reason that so many people do it whether they know it or not is they're trying to make their their sound sound like an old jazz record kind of lo-fi and and muffled yeah I, I, that sounds like way too considerate of an explanation yeah i don't know because like charlie christian doesn't sound like that to no. me i don't i mean just in general clean tone guitar where it's played like a piano mm-hmm. like sort of without bends and without like uh slides and all the like guitaristic things that you can do with it i really respect it yeah. but i'm never gonna get excited about it the way i am about somebody going wee, 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 wee. well i mean you look know? at someone like nels klein <laughs> yeah who plays his you know beautiful vintage guitars through you know this insane chain of you know noise like what are actually like noise making devices yeah and you can still hear right away oh it's nels klein yeah it's like such a like a defined thing that he has sure sure you sure know? so how could you, anyway sorry I don't know. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's like throwing away half the instrument that's that's been developed since the the sixties. That's like and sort late fifties. Of... I'm like, why? Okay, if you're an electric guitar player. You get a pass that like no other instrumentalist get, which is like, oh, there's this whole world of crazy pedals that you're, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That is the instrument. Yeah. Are you so we? we I think, every time I see you, I feel like we talk a little bit about pedals. Oh yeah. I fucking love pedals. I love pedals. I bought one the other I love day. Pedals. What is that? Goth. James Plotkin told me to get this. Okay. I was like, all right, if if James Plotkin says it, I'll get it. Yeah. It's this Danish 
guy, Gotherman. Granular synthesis pedal. Oh, cool. I paid more for this. Definitely than any pedal I've ever owned. Yeah. And I think it's too much pedal. It's too much pedal for it? Like it's too too complicated? I, I just, I, I play with it and I feel like I'm like in an arm wrestling competition that I'm just losing every time yeah, I play it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. I, I have... I have some of those, and it—I mean, it, it depends on what your personality and what you want out of the pedals. But I'm—I'm I'm friendly with this guy that that um, designs things for Eventide. Okay. And which is a great company. Great they company. make the uh, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They make these amazing pedals, um, and they—they can be really intimidating because they can do a lot. Like he—he right. he gave me because he likes uh, unnatural ways. He likes weird prog. Mm-hmm. This guy. So he gave me um, their harmonizer. And they're oh, what's it called? It's the white one that has it does everything. one that does everything. Yeah, it's yeah. A white one. It has a big black it's knob. Like a cube. Yeah. Right. It does everything. You can program it to do anything. And I'm like, I kind of don't. I would rather practice guitar than than practice this pedal. I would. And it, it, it like some people are do amazing things with those and and respect to them. But I just the way I want to spend my time, I don't want to spend like you know two days with a pedal before I can get it to do something I like. <laughs> However, he did also, more recently, he gave me um, their delay, which uh-huh. is a rose, brrr, rose something. It's a pink, pink delay. Rose. Oh, sorry. It rules, I said. Oh, it, ru- it rules. I mean, it, they all rule. They're all amazing pedals. But the thing with this one is that you can be like, you can start with dumb and then get to smart. Like you, you can sort of turn it on and but with dumb very little, cool right with very, yeah, with very little effort, you can get like a couple right. sounds that you can reliably dial in, and they're great. You yeah, know? I feel like pedals like they need to do one of two things, roughly speaking. Yeah, either just like enhance your tone and like you, like oh yeah, that's the fuzz box I needed, or that's yeah. the reverb pedal I needed, or they need to add a layer of unpredictability and like indeterminacy that is just fucking trigger something inside of you sure 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 that you but, yeah then it's like a dialogue between, between you and the pedal yeah all stuff in between of like ah oh, I, I can loop it and do like a tap tempo like all that oh, shit sure. can get out of my life forever sure yeah 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 well just i mean that type of looping can get out of my life forever it's like looping. I don't, yeah i mean that, that like kind of lo- bass yeah yeah i mean it, it where it's like a regular tempo and you're layering solos and things on top of like oh i'll loop baseline in 4-4 or whatever it's like no i don't need to hear that ever again right um but yeah anyway so this this delay it it suits me because you can start with something real simple and as i as i gig with it and as i tour with it i can learn to dial it in more and more and get deeper into it but that's kind of like what i need uh from a pedal is something that that you can get you know two or three settings that are usable right away and Uh then like get into all the presets and all the like programming you can do with it as you go yeah 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 something where you have to spend a bunch of time with it just to start is like it's just not my style it's not my style yeah yeah also i mean i don't know i can't think of too many guys that are like or people that are like pedal scientists that do anything i want to listen to yeah i'm not talking about the people that build them i'm talking about the people that have these like these you know like the three pedal boards that they bring to the gig yeah sure 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 i mean i don't to me it's like a synthesizer like there are people that have yeah. the patience to sit there to sit there with a with a buchler or whatever and like really get to know it and have it be their instrument but like i just i want to practice the guitar, the fucking guitar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no definitely definitely it, it, it's it, it's really fetishistic 
Oh, uh, like pedals. Pe- yeah, and I'm okay for sure. with it. For sure. I'm, you know, I'm kind of at the point where I, I have my rig and it it changes a little bit, maybe mm-hmm. depending on on what project I'm playing with. But it's basically my rig, and I'm not that into buying new stuff. Like right. I, I'm kind of like, this is my instrument. It's still like there's enough unpredictability in it that it's fun for me, and like I can still I can still have sort of like pedal fights where like something fun and new happens right. if I'm improvising. But I know how to control it as well, so I'm like, where it is right now is I'm kind of like, yeah, this is it. Yeah, and maybe maybe things will get That's, added here and there, or taken away. I mean, I have to remind myself with pretty good frequency that I play an instrument that people have been writing for for hundreds of years, uh-huh, uh-huh. and like I can't do, you know, a fraction of of what it's meant to do. So like. Just let's go back to you know. I don't know about that. But you know what I'm saying. But like, you're like, yeah yeah yeah. You're like clarinet. Like uh, here's here's a for instance. I was playing a solo gig in Paris this last fall, and halfway or maybe three quarters th- through the performance, I stepped on the cable that was plugged into the clarinet. Uh huh. And all of a sudden, I just had this acoustic clarinet, and like it took me a second and. I apologize. Like, sorry, guys. I guess we'll just have to listen to the clarinet for the rest of the show. <laughs> Everyone's like, no. no everyone's like, of course, you dumb dumb. Like, you're in France. Like, this is like the, where the clarinet comes from. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. But, so you played acoustic? Yeah, the last 15 minutes, I just played some cool. acoustic. And it was a wonderful challenge. And certainly, like, the thing about improvisation as sort of, like, the philosophical aspect of it to me, I can never quite get away from. It's never uh-huh. just about making sound to me or making yeah, music. Yeah, there's definitely like a like a lefty non-materialistic yeah. uh ethos around it. Yeah. Yeah. I Not mean, everyone's like that, but I think it comes out of that. Free jazz talk- and the British improviser guys. The like, British guys in particular. Definitely like that. I was talking to Frith one time and you know I've said this on here before, but like he said this thing that was like so simple yet so profound mm-hmm. where I was like, you know, Matt, you tour all the time. How do you like, you know, keep yourself engaged in the improvisation? And he was like, Oh, I, I switch the pedal setup every night. Yeah, it it I've I've totally been there. Yeah, he's like, I've I'll totally use, been I'll, there. I won't use you know every night I'll remove one pedal from the chain. Right. Always add some aspect of that. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, Evan Parker told me you know just like a week ago he was like, yeah, you know, I work, I look for the moments where the horn does something I don't expect it's gonna do, to then inform what's gonna happen. Then run with it. Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure, for sure. I I mean, I do that more when I improvise than if I'm like playing like rock where everything has to be pretty dialed in yeah you know i'm not gonna go changing my chain of course it, it, it's like it's hard enough just to have clarity yeah, in, that, yeah, yeah. in something like unnatural ways but that's a super, but, uh, that's a skill specific to that world yeah yeah just just having having clarity with music that's loud and dense you uh-huh. know and has a lot of sonic stuff it's like i'm not gonna go messing with it after i after i get things right. set well but if you look at like <laughs> I was talking about this is Brandon Seabrook. I geek uh-huh. out on those stupid, um, like those YouTube videos, uh, rig rundown. Oh yeah, 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 sure. And those guys are all fucking losers and like <laughs> idiots, you know, like the dude yeah. from Three Eleven or someone. But it is pretty oh, man. cool. Like, but those dudes, they understand something and they have a skill set that is so refined and specific, which is they know how to put on a concert for twenty five thousand people or something. Yeah. Never have more than like thirty seconds. One minute between a song, right? Go. Yeah, they don't have dead air. Right within each song, they'll have these you know ch- big changes that need to happen so seamlessly. So they really kind of have to dial in this like technical side of their playing. Sure, like, I'm actually really in awe of that. Sure, no, it's a, it's it's a talent. It's a yeah. talent. Even if you don't want to listen to the music, just like having things that dialed in right. is a talent because it is the way that you play. In a lot of cases, it's the way that you play as well as what pedal settings you have. Yeah. 
going. So it's, I mean, yeah, it takes a lot of skill and a lot of development. Yeah. I mean, you look at someone like our good friend Brian Chase, you know, yeah. and, and we talked about this, you know, certainly his time with the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs playing these like mega shows as a drummer, he's learned how to project and, and, and execute on that level. Yeah. Consistency right, right, right. With, you know, with his hits, you know, having like immediately tuning his drums, you know, in a way that's like, efficient and just being able to really like put on that show the way it needs to happen sure 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 i mean playing venues like that it's just sonically it's such a different thing like i did uh, over the last two years i did a couple short stints opening for the violent femmes right solo and i mean that, that that's cool it's a it's a very strange fit and i'm i'm super you know grateful that they would want to have me there but it's playing it's playing like 2500 seat theaters or one one tour was them and echo and the bunnymen oh shit which was like they're a super weird fit those two bands together and then me in there it's like what the fuck is this it's a cool night of music <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what um but so those are bigger i mean those are more like yeah. five thousand. and just to, to play something like that solo i would try and like get some kind of recording out of it or some kind of video out of it every night just to see see how my sound was coming across and it's like any kind of space any kind of dynamics uh if you're playing quietly or, or just any kind of crescendo and decrescendo it's so hard to get it to come across really uh, in the in the back of those yeah at least solo at least solo. I mean, did you find yourself immediately like sort of negotiating and navigating how to yeah play it's like to that many everything people? everything had to be like either like full on like pretty pretty loud or like dramatically dramatically quiet it's, it, everything had to be like more extreme and sort of on on a staircase mm-hmm. whereas like if i were playing a small room it would be i don't know on a slope right you know what i mean like everything had to be tiered volume wise and it would it just just getting clarity even as a solo instrument in those is really difficult yeah and like if you do anything subtle uh, it it's it just feels like so much space. Well, because it's not and, the like same dead thing air. If like if you play solo at like the Mers Festival in Europe, uh-huh, uh-huh. in Germany, yeah. I mean, I'm you know I'm sure there's all kinds of people coming there for different reasons, but yeah, you can kind of safely assume it's people who are ready to hear some abstract music. And for are, sure, and are part of listen. it is the audience too. Yeah. Part of it is the audience and the context because it's not people who who are coming to hear abstract music at all. Right. So it's like. Uh, yeah, part of it is the audience. Part is, of it is the way those venues are built. It's not for it's for stadium rock. It's not right. for anything abstract. And like Mers, at least the year I played it, it was in that big tent. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And it's not the greatest sound in the world, but the right. audience is really like into into going with you if you're doing something like I feel abstract. Like the gr- like perhaps the greatest skill set a musician can one of the greatest skill sets a musician can arrive at is being able to play comfortably. In any situation. In any situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's hard. I mean, it's just oh, it's such a, a it's, it's really a different hard. kind of musician that can sound great in a in a stadium and in a small room. Yeah. Not that not that the same person can't do both of those, but it it's a really different skill set. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. It's interesting. I it's mean super it's super interesting. Yeah, yeah. It is um as much as I don't I never go to shows like that that are that big, twenty five hundred, five thousand people. No. I never go to stuff like that. And I you know, I don't, when it's that disengaged from the audience, as a performer, for me, when I'm that far from the audience and 
as an audience, when I'm that far from the performer and, and it's hard to get the vibe of what the band is doing, right. I kind of lose interest. You know, I it's, would rather rather see something in a smaller room uh, than that. No questions asked, 100% of the time. Yeah, yeah. So for me, it's like a special challenge because I never see that stuff. I never, Maybe I like haven't been interested to... in that world since I was like 13. I so would... I was like, what? Right. Is... Yeah, this is a weird skill to try to develop. Well, you know, like... I remember about 10, 12 years ago, my friend and I went to go see Iron Maiden mm-hmm. at Giant Stadium. And uh, yeah. it was so fucking bizarre. Like, we yeah. were sitting down, you know, like, really far from the stage. Everyone was sitting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody stood down, in their down seat. Down in, like, general admission, there was people standing. There was people standing. They were, okay. mo- they were mostly booing because they were just playing new material. Oh, no. <laughs> But, yeah, but I was able to talk to my friend just as I'm talking to you right now. Yeah, you know, and I was like, "This is fucking weird." This it's is, weird, yeah, because they have the sound music. so dialed in yeah. where it's not. Yeah, it's a metal band, but you're not like yelling but to hear I mean, each other. Metal is supposed to be loud. Sure, sure, it loses. Menacing. It loses. It's a lot. supposed to like you know confront you, and it was just like, "Man, this is fucking weird." Let's get the hell out of here. Yeah. You know. I, yeah, it's I, I I would I felt like I don't envy those guys on that stage. It, yeah. I mean, it, I I can't. I have no complaints about any of that touring. It did make me realize that, like, audience that <clears throat> it's not like they have to like like or get everything that I do. But audience that's there to see weird music, basically, that is more important to me than playing in front of huge audience. Right. You know, like the, the it was a it was a cool response. People were nice, but it also was like it's so not the crowd for right. that kind of music that I, it, it, I think some people went, if they're playing in front of 2000 people, they're like, wow, like I'm God, you know, uh-huh. you get a rush and it, it was exciting for me, but I also was like, man, I like, you know, there's something about playing a small, like a small rock venue or whatever that, that is just more appealing for me. It's yeah. more on my alley. Yeah. I mean, a lot of music, like, that play in front of 2,000 people and feel like God, like inherent, that music is going to be loud, fast music. Yeah, for sure. You, you will not get that response. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm speaking out of turn. Like, that's not, I, I don't think that's Cat Power's experience. I don't know. She probably has great shows, but yeah, I don't think yeah, yeah. like that, you know. I don't know much about her, except I, she has real bad stage fright, so I don't think right. she has that feeling at all. Right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that much I know. So, it, right. yeah, I don't think she's like, rah, I'm God. Right. <laughs> I don't fucking, I, I just, I, I don't, obviously the money I'm sure is really good at that level, but I just don't yeah. see how that's like a super fulfilling experience, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it depends on the person. the, the mo- band. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It w- Audience was very nice, people bought stuff, you know, but, um... The thing that I heard the most from the audience was like, like moms would stand up and and scream like, you go, girl, <laughs> doing it all by yourself, girl. Yeah. Oh, God. Good on you, girl. Like while I was playing and it, it was I, I actually kind of had like a revelation over the course of these these couple couple tours that were like, I think there were two weeks each one year after the other. Then women would come up to me afterward and be like, "That's it's so great to see a woman rock, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, awesome. That was the main thing I got time after time was like hmm. women, sometimes men, but like mostly women being like, oh my God, where's the man? You're on stage by yourself. That's hmm. awesome. And uh, it's, it's weird. It doesn't I, sound like you loved hearing that. 
Yeah, I mean, it 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 was an interesting like eye opener for me because one, I was like, well, did you hear what I played? You know, like it, it's sort of like incidental because they're like, whoa, a woman can do it by herself. And then two, I'm like, oh man, like I guess we're still here culturally, like where where like these women really have never seen a woman on stage or or this big a stage mm-hmm. by herself or like they're they're like, wow, I didn't know that could happen. It was really like like surprise and shock from from people. And yeah, it just made me think because I, like, I live here. Before that, I lived in the Bay Area, and I'm sort of like oh, kinda... in a nice bubble where like right. there's constantly badass women musicians, it's and I've been in a bubble like yeah. that for yeah most of my life. But you know, playing in the Midwest and playing like sometimes smaller towns, uh, it was like, oh man, this is still our reality. Okay, you know, These but people are like not used about to this. the bubble. You yeah. know, whether it's like in relation to like the 2016 election or yeah, this, yeah, yeah. this thing that you're describing. Yeah. Like we, I feel like we kind of talk about the bubble like with some aspect of dismissiveness. Uh-huh. But where the bubble's rad is that I can hear you play and I just hear someone playing. Totally, totally. I'm not saying bubble. I love this yeah, bubble, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I, but I did, I did realize that it's a bubble and that, that that's, we're like, as a country, we're like farther behind than I realized. I think of it as behind. It behind. <laughs> yeah, you know? I, I would say like, so. Man, this sucks that like this is what people notice, but this is what people notice because we're that far behind as a right. country. You know? I just don't I mean, I don't know where people get their information from. Like you know I think the last time I heard someone where I was like, Oh shit, like I didn't realize that this group of people did that uh-huh. was this guy Guru Mool. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know Guru Mool? Yeah, sure. I, I toured with her before. No, him. He's this uh, this guy from. He's an Aborigine from Australia who's blind, completely blind. Oh, there's a Norwegian girl named Gurumo. Really? Yeah. Well, this guy Gurumo <laughs> is like, he's completely blind. Uh huh. He's large. Yeah. He's a big guy. Yeah. But his voice is like this angelic, almost like a like a girl. Uh huh. And he writes these beautiful songs and sings like this most vulnerable music. And like, I was like, that was the last time I was like, oh shit! Like, I guess I, guess I didn't. I heard the music. I was like, I guess I, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. have assumed you know, that You had no though. idea what anybody yeah. looked like. Sure. Sure, sure. Huh. How do you spell his name? I think G-U-R-U-M-U-L. I'm probably misspelling it. Gurumo. Okay, it's one word. Yeah, that's his last name, and then he just plays under that name. That's funny. Norwegian woman bass player is G-U-R-O, new word, M-O-E. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> you got to check out Gurumo. Yeah, I'll you pl- should I'll check pl- out Gurumo. <laughs> <laughs> cool i will yeah so are you gonna are you actively working on that solo record yeah i am i actually recorded so i i toured um i did a couple solo tours this spring like in the interest of breaking in the uh-huh. new stuff um and that was great i mean where it was, did you go i went first i went kind of south with um i did a double solos tour with john dykeman that saxophonist yeah. And we went kind of like down the coast and then over, you know, down as far as Baltimore, then over to Asheville. Asheville was great. Yeah, Asheville was great. Went to Nashville, Chattanooga, ended in New Orleans and had a couple days off in New Orleans. And I was like, oh, right. I'm in love with this city. I forgot. I've never been there. Oh, man. You would like it. It's great, right? That's awesome. I think you would love it. Did you go? Did you get the chance to go there before Katrina? I yeah, but I was a kid. Right, I was a kid, so I don't. Yeah, I can't. I feel like speak to the change. I, I'm not that well traveled. 
Yeah. And anytime I'm excited to go somewhere, like everyone I talk to is like, well, you already missed it. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. San Francisco, oh, you missed it. Paris, you missed it. New Orleans is ruined after Katrina kind of thing. I mean, I don't think people there would say that. It hasn't been my experience. Like when I went to San Francisco for the first time at age 36. Uh Uh-huh. I fucking loved it. Yeah, like, I could see where yeah, things yeah. But were. But people like, are like, the old San Francisco yeah. is gone. It's expensive now. Blah yeah. blah. Sure. New Orleans is rad. I loved it. What, I loved what it. is it about New Orleans that gets you? Oh, I mean it. Well, we we were also there during a festival. It's called French Quarter Festival. Uh-huh. So it's all like local, local musicians or Louisiana musicians. Yeah. So we just got to see, you know, a bunch of cheap great music like zydeco and stuff no i mean it was all over the place there were were some like cajun bands zydeco bands i yeah it's not it's not up my alley either but there were some great soul bands yeah and like blues bands what's her name irma irma thomas it's like a i don't think i realized she was still alive yeah man she sounds so good yeah she sounds her voice sounds amazing she's like the queen of new orleans yeah um and the food oh the food is amazing i mean i could eat that like my t- taste buds wise, I could eat that Every day. forever. And like everything else wise, I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> make it stop because I I can't stop eating it. I can't stop eating barbecue. Yeah, and like you know, like Cajun food when I'm in that part of the world. But um, it hurts. Right, it hurts after a few days, and I like. But I can't make myself eat a salad when I'm, I'm there. just fearful. Like like the idea of New Orleans that I have in my head. Yeah, like. I'm kind of scared. If I get there, I'm like, sure, well, I'm sure. This I'm. I was very much a tourist when I was yeah. there because I hadn't been there for like ten years or whatever. And we were like in the French Quarter at this festival, seeing seeing all these you know local and Louisiana people, but like definitely doing the tourist thing. We went to Our Nose, which is like the oldest bar restaurant yeah. in the city, and yeah, like yeah, yeah. you know, it, it's just you bump into the city's history so fast there, I and love it, that. it has so much interesting history. Like that, that's amazing. I feel like the 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 cultural mix that makes the music there is is really like not like any other American city mm-hmm. that I know of, and uh, yeah, people are friendly. Everybody's kind of funny. Of course, everybody's kind of hilarious there. You so know? I've been having this conversation a lot with people lately, where like. Like the, the, the a sense of self, a sense of, of, of sorry, a sense of place is uh-huh. really what's being lost these sure. days. Like worldwide. Sure, sure, you know? sure. Like what defines <laughs> a real place is like is that is that thing you just said, which is like I'm clearly in New Orleans. Like this could not be anywhere else. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, certainly Chicago's like that and, and, right. and Paris is like that and Prague is like that and New York's like that and you know, New York's becoming less like that, and right. and San Francisco's becoming less like that, and that's what we all sort of bemoan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But still, if you go to Swan Oyster Depot in San Francisco, if you go uh-huh. to fucking Arno, what's the name of the place? Arno's is yeah. the place I went like, to. You know yeah. where you are. You know where you are. You know where you are. And I mean, people just have so much city pride there, too. Mm-hmm. Like everybody is, you know, even even. Okay, a lot a lot of the locals that I talked to were like, well. It sucks here because you can't find any work. It sucks here because the economy is real bad, and mm-hmm. you can't, you know, you have to like come to the French Quarter and do service stuff, or or not have a job, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but they still have so much city pride, mm-hmm. you know. At the same time, so it's like I don't, you know, I very much saw it as a tourist. To be fair, the locals that I saw were like complaining a lot, but they were also like, "This is the shit." I guess like. That's a good thing to me to have like locals that complain because there's a recognition of, you know, a sacrifice of authenticity. 
Yeah, 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 maybe. Or I'm, just like they're somehow engaged with it. It's not like right. like what bugs me out and what I'm seeing happening here, especially in this neighborhood where I'm like very personally invested is yeah, like yeah, a yeah. lot of people that live in this neighborhood now literally have no idea of its history. Yeah, they for looked sure. at whatever sure. and said that's the hip place to go. I'll pay thousands, thousands of dollars a month to live there. Yeah. Literally, like having no idea that like you know one what the history is. Every like three Jews worldwide has family that went through the Lower East Side living in town. You know, and yeah. that's just one aspect of it. Yeah, like it's weird to me that someone could go somewhere like with this rich a history and just be completely be oblivious to it. ignorant. And it's almost like you have to have blinders on to stay that ignorant. Yeah. You know, of a of a the neighborhood that you move into. I yeah. mean, I've I've moved around a lot. Like as a kid, I moved around quite a bit, and then I was in Oakland for ten years. But I lived in different parts of the city, so it was like always a new neighborhood with a different thing. So I'm not. I can't claim. You know, same thing in New York. I I lived in Bushwick until a year ago, and I was like, I'm too old for this, and <laughs> moved to to Borough Park. So you live in Borough Park now? Yeah, yeah, right on the edge of Sunset Park. Um, that's a real place. Yeah, yeah, it's a real place. But I mean, so I can't claim like authenticity of a neighborhood at all. I've I've never lived any place long enough to do that. But I do think it's sort of like a social responsibility to learn something Absolutely. about the neighborhood you're in, and if, and it's fun. But that's also know? like that's what makes. I mean, like my mom, like my mom lived in New York City in the '60s when she was like a young jet setter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And she was a jet setter. She was a model and an airline. Oh wow! What used to be called the stewardess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is it not? Is that like a it's bad a word now? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's a oh. flight attendant. Okay. I think I think it's like saying transvestite. Really? Yeah. I didn't get that memo. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's a flight attendant. Yeah. Uh, but she, I mean, like I remember as a kid, like she would cook bok choy, and she would uh-huh, talk uh-huh, about the uh-huh. first time she bought bok choy at like a produce stand in Chinatown. In Chinatown. Uh-huh. And, like, so it would be. That kind of thing where like your your life becomes richer because of these like weird because of things knowing you bump things into. about the city. Yeah, I mean knowing I, that Peking duck is delicious, right? And that influences the way you cook something. Sure, knowing that you're aiming for like that super crispy skin. Sure, these are little things, but that's what makes like I think a richer experience. And that's music yeah. too. Oh, for sure, for sure. Just knowing anything about the history of the stuff you're playing instead of kind of like fumbling around. Could you imagine if your only experience of the electric guitar? Was going down to Guitar Center and talking to the fucking morons Stop. that work there, Stop. and like listening to whatever, and like that's what that's the electric guitar. I mean, that that is a lot of people's experience. I, I know it. Yeah, no, I mean, I guess I guess I can't, but that's how a lot of people start. Right. That homogenous shit is a drag. Yes, yes, it sure is. It sure is. I mean, that's like people learning everything from YouTube is kind of like that as as musicians too. And I, right. I'll totally go on there and like take take guitar lessons and I and, take a lot and of conspiracy like, lessons from YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that for sure. I'll like <laughs> like take you know political analysis lessons and then go on to the next like Richard Wolf lecture right. after that one. But I'll do, I'll totally do like uh, guitar lessons on there. But the thing is like. There's kind of this phenomenon of people just learning to play that way. Some of them are super virtuosic, but it's like any kind of regional style is is lost and any kind of growing up with the music is lost. Right. I mean, it's interesting. I can't say like, that's bad because I... I'm somebody that I learned a lot from records. Sure. You know, it wasn't like I was and, in and Orange sure County, that, like, playing. I'm sure there are plenty of musicians, that, like older musicians, who, you know, the only way you would hear someone is when they came through your town, yeah, yeah, would yeah. say you're not really hearing it. 
If you're Wh- learning from the record, you're not really hearing oh, it. Oh, sure, sure, sure. You know? Sure. And yeah, I mean, I just didn't, there wasn't, in my town, there just wasn't a lot of you're music, like, like period. Or some shit, right? What's that? You're from like Seal Beach or No, 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 Irvine. Irvine. Right. Yeah. Right. Still behind the orange curtain. Behind the orange curtain, for yeah. sure. There were, there like used to be punk venues around there before I was there. So I was like, there was a history for sure, and yeah. I got into it, but there was just not much going on while I was right. there. I was that's like, fine, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was record time for me. But we, I, I feel like we know, and people we know know that, like, to cherish the experiences like we have of of interacting with things firsthand. Sure, sure. You know, absolutely. The fact that like two weeks ago Evan Parker was here, sitting where you're sitting, and then we stayed up to one o'clock in the morning eating and drinking and just like talking crazy shit yeah 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 yeah. that will forever be a part of my musical and personal identity sure sure and it's part of your history and the way that you learn to play and part of the history of the music in general i mean i had i had i guess last the last week of march i played i played this thing at national sawdust right um that so it was part of the Zorn like Stone, Stone series right. there, and that th- this gig was I mean this is roundabout, but it, it, this gig was kind of what I was getting a bunch of solo stuff ready for uh-huh. because there was some funding for it, and I could like it's a real gig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could. That was how I you know got in touch with Trevor and Devin and was like, I'm gonna get these pieces ready for this right um, gig. So I was doing it half solo and then half duo with Nels, and. I'm going to go and, ahead and assume that that's an important musical relationship. Yeah, for you. it totally is. And yeah. I, I kind of like, I never see him now that I'm on the East Coast, but I grew up around around hearing him play when, uh, you know, as a teenager, I would go yeah. to LA and see stuff. That same week, I played um, a show opening for Mike Watt. And this, guy, this guitar player, Mike Baguetta, has a trio yeah. with him. So I opened up solo for that trio and like saw Mike for the first time in years. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think Legends. about me, like, in terms of roots or whatever that often. But if I have them, they're, like, in that scene in L.A., kind of like like punk rock that likes John Coltrane uh-huh. kind of thing. Like, like people, you know, coming out of Minutemen thing. Uh, yeah, I don't know. All, the, all those L.A. bands and, like, a relationship it's rock but there's a relationship to to improvising and like that's really important in the music mm-hmm. that's totally what i come out of and it's but it's a like what i guess what's important to me is to to recognize it as a multi-dimensional thing uh-huh that's the yeah there's a sound yeah there's a series of personalities that 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 created and, and contribute to that but there's a smell there's a there like, sure is. The, the the feeling of the hot sun in LA hitting that like gray brown pavement. Oh yeah yeah yeah. You know like like the whole thing together is super crucial to me. Sure. You know? Sure. The, no, it's that the, place. It's that place. Being in New York City and like playing some fucking gig for three people at a shithole and then waiting on the subway platform at two o'clock in the morning that's freezing a smell. your ass off like that's very much part of the full experience. Yeah. No, and, you and, wouldn't sound that way if you didn't have those experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So what was it like doing that gig with at National Sawdust? Oh, it was it was fun. Well, the solo part was kind of it was a little nerve wracking because I haven't done that in a long time. Where I'm like, oh, I'm gonna you know practice for six months and get this stuff together, and then have this this big special performance. Like I I usually like get one thing together and try it out on a gig. Um, I, I, yeah, I usually work more gradually than that, mm-hmm. I guess. So this one, I mean, this felt more like almost like like a recital yeah it felt more like being in music school or something where i was like 
the gig that you saw was a couple weeks before right. um, at Union Hall, and that was like my warm-up right. thing. So that was really the premiere of these things, but it was it was to break them in for National sure. Sawdust, basically. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it was cool, but it was nerve-wracking, and especially Stupid Trevor's piece. Um, <laughs> Stupid Trevor. Cause it, just because it's hard. Yeah. You know, he wrote me this piece, which maybe maybe I'll send you an MP3 and we can play a second so people know what I'm yeah. talking about. But it's just like, uh, it's not shreddy necessarily, but these all, there's all these harmonics that you have to get to like, yeah, you have to get them to pop out and, and it's just and, yeah. like your touch has to be really fucking precise. So that, yeah, that put me in sort of like kid classical guitar brain where I was like, am I playing this right? You know? It's kind of a fun place to be. It's fun. I had not been yeah. there in a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, a, it's almost like a classical no-wave piece, the thing that he wrote, you know? That rules. Yeah, yeah it's great. It's yeah. great, but it definitely like... You were working. Put me, put me in this old school brain where I was like, well, this is not... I'm getting no pleasure out of playing this for the first time. I'm just trying to nail it. Yeah. You know? And it, it, I've played it more on these last couple tours since then, and now... It's much more you kinda own pleasant. It a bit more. Yeah, 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 yeah. But actually just breaking it in was like, damn, I'm nervous. Um so the that was the solo part, you know, playing my stuff was fine. Devin's thing is simpler. Uh the Trevor thing was nerve wracking. Then little break and playing with Nels. And the Nels thing was just fun. You know, yeah. like we, we it, it was like improv with a few we each had a few little pieces in there. And it's just so easy to play with him. He's such a fucking good guy yeah 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 it just just felt yeah just easy and you know he know, knows how to write something that you plop in mm -hmm. for 15 seconds in the middle of an improv and it just like makes everything make sense yeah so that yeah that was fun yeah and are you are you around much this summer or are you on tour i am both i'm like around uh let me see i'm playing at vision fest in mid June, with um, a group that you put together, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, okay. Yeah, interesting. Okay. They um, the Vision Fest asked you to play. Yeah, they did. They said put together a group. Patricia asked me to play. Okay. Yeah. So it's with Hamid, the best. Yeah, Adam Lane and um, uh, Matt Nelson. On oh. The sax. Tunes or improvising? Improvising. I might have like one loose tune. Okay. Yeah. I'm playing That's that. Yeah, I mean it's not it's not my scene, but Patricia has been super nice and and like she's seen she knows that I'm more in the rock world, but she likes my improvising and was like, yeah, you know, you know what this festival is about. Kind of let's work together and come up with something that makes sense for it. And I was like, sure, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm doing that. Then, then, okay, another incongruous one. Um. Unnatural Ways is playing the Vancouver Jazz Fest in late June. Okay. And I'm playing solo and teaching a workshop too. So we're like the rock band that's on the right. Jazz Fest. We're like, there's, there's, I can't remember their name, but there's another band from Vancouver that's playing that night. And it's like, I think it's the rock night. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm out for that. Chess Smith is subbing for Sam Ospavat on drums for that one. And and then after that, I'm back for a bit, and then I go out with JBL with um, James Brandon Lewis. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's a good cat. Yeah, he's awesome. He's yeah. awesome. I'm subbing for um, Anthony Pirogue. Okay. In this quintet record that he wrote. he's like playing with Fugazi or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's playing with the Fugazi people. Yeah. So 
yeah, the Unruly Manifesto is um, James's new-ish record. James that's knows touring. how to bring it. James knows how to bring it, and he yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. It, it'll be fun. I mean, it, him, uh, Jamie Branch, Luke, Luke. Oh, you're yeah, in Luke good Stewart, yeah, yeah. Warren G. Crudup. That's a good crowd right there. Yeah, Warren G. Crudup the third. How long are you guys out? Like, uh, it's short. It's like a week and a half. That'll be a fun group of people. It'll be yeah, fun. With. It'll yeah. be so super fun. And I love I love the way those guys play together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Ava. This has been super fun. This has been super fun. It's always good to see you. I always appreciate seeing Ava Mendoza. I'm glad. I'm glad yeah. you say that. I'm glad you're not like, bleh. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ava. Yeah. All right. That was my conversation with Ava Mendoza, the one and only, the great... She fucking, she's just the best. Come hear us play together at The Stone on July 19th. Check out her new record, The Paranoia Party. And go to her website. Uh, Ava does incredible things. She's going to continue to do incredible things for the foreseeable future. And you should bear oral witness to those things. AvaMendozaMusic.com Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes. And uh, go fuck yourself. And no, I'm just kidding. Um, that's it. I hope you guys are all doing well, and we'll be back next week with a very special one. All right. Bye.